Morning, church. How's everybody doing? Thanks for joining us today in person. Always thankful to those who join us online. Thanks for your singing this morning and your energy this morning. Thanks for your praise this morning. Thanks for being here. Andrew Carnegie wrote in 1904, We live in a heroic age. And over 120 years ago, he established the Carnegie Hero Fund. Since that time, just over 10,000 medals have been awarded. Heroes are named quarterly. Honorees receive a financial grant. And since its inception, the fund has given out over $40 million in grants, scholarships, death benefits, and other assistance. The award is given in the United States and Canada. Exactly what is a hero? Here's what they have on their site. The Carnegie Hero Fund awards the Carnegie Medal to individuals in the United States and Canada who risk death or serious physical injury to an extraordinary degree, saving or attempting to save the lives of others. Risk death to an extraordinary degree. Recipients have been all ages. Recipients are not limited to gender. The very essence of a hero is that none ever risk their lives for recognition. Most even try to avoid the media once their act of bravery has been done. You've seen stories of that in the media all the time. A hero comes along, saves someone, disappears, and they'll even put ads in the paper for the person trying to find the person who was the hero. They've done research based on interviews with Carnegie Hero Medal recipients, and here's what they found. The decision to save someone's life in an emergency is typically an intuitive split second rather than the result of careful deliberation. The lifesavers repeatedly said they didn't even think. They just acted. One man who climbed into a burning car to rescue a woman said, I just did what I felt like I needed to do. You don't think. A college student who rescued a 69-year-old woman trapped in a flooding car said, I'm thankful I was able to act and not think about it. Research even stated, risking your safety to help others most often involves fast, unthinking action. Interesting. So to be a hero, don't think. That leads to our text today. We're in a series called Favorite Bible Stories. I don't know your favorite Bible story. We started this last week. It's real simple. I, I get to pick some of my favorite Bible stories and share those with you. Today we look at a hero. Someone who risked her life to an extraordinary measure. And not just risked her life to save others, but to save an entire nation. It's one of my favorite Bible stories. It's the book 
of Esther. I love the book of Esther. Her name was also Hadassah, also known by her Greek name, Esther. Esther is the 17th book in the Old Testament. You'll find it in the Old Testament. It's a story about God's people in exile, how God's people have been carried away from their homes and they're in exile. It's a story of the Jews who remained in Persia after the exile. Instead of going back home, they remained in Persia. It's the story of Satan trying to destroy God's people. Because Satan thinks if he can destroy God's people, if he can destroy the Jews, then he destroys the lineage of Jesus. If you destroy the lineage, then you destroy Jesus coming, you destroy the Messiah. And so Satan thinks, if I can just get rid of all the Jews, the last thing Satan wants is for Jesus to come. So if he can wipe out all of God's people... Lots of folks have tried to do that since, to wipe out the Jews. It's an exciting story. You should go home and read it. It won't take you long. It's about ten chapters. There's five major characters in this book. The first character is a king. His name is Xerxes. How cool is that? Xerxes. He was the king of Persia. The story begins with him throwing a banquet. Here's what we read. For a full 180 days, King Xerxes displayed the vast wealth of his kingdom and the splendor and glory of his majesty. When these days were over, the king gave a banquet lasting seven days. Wine was served in goblets of gold, and the royal wine was abundant. By the king's command, each guest was allowed to drink in his own way. You can just imagine, drink in his own way. This was a major shindig. This was an elaborate banquet. The king is there in all of his pomp and circumstance. It's an all-you-can-eat buffet. It's an all-you-can-drink buffet. The banquet lasted seven days. Everyone was invited. And by the seventh day, you can just imagine, everyone was blitzed. And the king decides it's time for his wife, the queen, to make an entrance. Enter the second character in this book. Her name is Queen Vashti. Now, as they say on TV, don't change the dial or or you will miss what's going on. Don't change the dial because she's not going to be around very long. The entire time the king is throwing a party... Queen Vashti is also throwing a party. But on day seven, he decides he wants to parade his wife in front of all of the probably drunken men. The king is wasted, the guests are wasted, and the king decides he wants his queen at the party. On the seventh day, when King Xerxes was in high spirits from wine, blitzed. He commanded those who served him to bring before him Queen Vashti wearing her crown in order to display her beauty to the people and nobles for she was lovely to look at. Wearing her crown. Everything I've ever read said that's probably all she was wearing is just her crown. Lovely to look at. The king wants all of his drunken guests to look at his wife, the queen. 
The king wants to parade her in front of everyone. And again, not just parade her. Since she was lovely to look at, parade her in the nude. And for whatever reason, she says, No, not going to do that. Maybe she didn't want to be paraded in front of people. Maybe she didn't want to be paraded in front of men. Maybe she didn't want to be paraded in front of drunken men. Maybe she was drunk herself. She's been partying for seven days too. Or maybe, as history would say, she just didn't want to be paraded in the nude. And so she said, I won't parade in the nude, dude. King Xerxes is upset. Scripture says he burned with anger. He was hot. He was ticked. He was mad. And he asks for the advice of the wise men. Here's what goes on. King Xerxes asked his wise men, according to law, what are we going to do with Queen Vashti? She's not obeyed the command of King Xerxes. The queen's conduct will become known to all the women, and so they will despise their husbands. There will be no end of disrespect and discord. Now, (laughs) he's been drinking for seven days. Does it surprise you what comes out of his mouth? Interesting. Here's the recommendation of the wise men. Here's the recommendation of the wise men who've been drinking for seven days with him. Okay? If it pleases the king, let him issue a royal decree that Queen Vashti's never again to enter the presence of King Xerxes and let the king give her royal position to someone else who's better than she. Then, when his edict is proclaimed throughout all his vast realm, all the women will respect their husbands from the least to the greatest. Hmm. I wrote down, never ask for kingdom advice from those who've been drinking for seven days. (laughs) The result? Queen Vashti's gone. She's gone. She shows up in the middle of chapter 1, and by the end of chapter 1, she's gone. She's banished. Game over. She's history. She's nowhere to be found. Why? Because if word gets out about what happened, all the women are going to disrespect their husbands. Hmm. So the king made a proclamation. The king was pleased with this advice. (laughs) Not a smart man. He sent dispatches to all parts of the kingdom, to each province and to each people in its own language, proclaiming that every man should be the ruler over his own household. And now, this just became the favorite Bible story of a lot more men in the audience. (laughs) So, (laughs) tell me someone didn't just say amen. (laughs) I'm afraid to look up. I'm so glad the king got rid of Vashti and so that all the women down through these thousands of years would continue to love and honor and respect their husbands because of his proclamation. But now we have another problem because with Queen Vashti gone, we, we need a queen. We've got to have a queen. Where are we going to find a queen? Well, we're going to have a Miss Persia pageant. Inner character number three, Esther. Esther. 
the king begins the search for another queen, queen, and so we go and find all the beautiful girls in all of the provinces, and they're given beauty treatments and facials, and Esther is one of those girls. Hadassah is one of those girls. Esther, the Persian word for star or hidden star, and she becomes the star of this story. We read in Esther 2, verse 7, Esther was lovely in form and features. Here's other translations. Beautiful and lovely. Lovely to look at. Beautiful in appearance. Very attractive. She was a beautiful young woman. And here's what happens. When Esther's brought before the king, he takes one look and he says, Hubba, hubba. Translated as, the king was attracted to Esther more than any of the other women, and she won his favor and approval, so he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen. The king gave a great banquet and proclaimed a holiday. So if any of you husbands are looking for some tips on how to treat your wives, you need to throw a great banquet and proclaim a holiday in their honor. And now this book is no longer one of the favorites for many of the men. So Esther becomes queen. Esther's a Jew. The king doesn't know that yet. But he will enter our fourth character. His name is Mordecai. Mordecai. He's the cousin of Esther. Here's what we read. There was in the citadel of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai, who'd been carried into exile and was among those taken captive. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, Esther, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. We don't know why she had neither father nor mother, but her cousin Mordecai raised her. One day Mordecai um, is sitting at the king's gate, and here's what he observes. During the time that Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, became angry and conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. But Mordecai found out about the plot and told Queen Esther, who in turn reported it to the king, giving credit to Mordecai. When the report was investigated and found to be true, the two officials were hanged on a gallows. Mordecai hears about this plot to kill the king. He notifies his cousin, Esther. She sends word to the king, it's true, and the two guys are gone. Inner character number five in this story. His name is Haman. Not much good is said about Haman. Very little, if any, is said that is good about Haman. He's the right-hand man to the king, and he has a big ego. So big that he convinces the king to make a decree that whenever he, Haman, is around, everyone should bow down to him. Interesting. All the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honor to Haman, for the king had commanded this concerning him, because Haman convinced the king to make that command. But Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, he was enraged. He was hacked. Mordecai is only going to bow down to God. He's not going to bow down to anyone else, especially Haman. And Haman is hot. Haman is flaming. Just trying to keep you all interested today. And he convinces the king to issue another decree. 
to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the Jews. All the Jews. Not just Mordecai. He's so mad at Mordecai. Let's get rid of all the Jews. Haman said to King Xerxes, There's a certain people dispersed and scattered among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom whose customs are different from those of all other people and who do not obey the king's law. Let me interpret. Wham, 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 Mordecai won't bow down to me. It's not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. So let's destroy them. Because one guy won't bow down. Dispatchers were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with the order to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the Jews, young and old, women and little children, on a single day and to plunder their goods. There's just one problem. The queen is a Jew. Esther is a Jew. And Haman has just sucked the king into his angry plan not just to kill all the Jews, but to kill the queen, to destroy the queen. Not just the Jews, again, to destroy the lineage of Jesus. Because if we get rid of all the Jews, how's Jesus going to come? So Satan continues to work through this plan. God's people are about to be extinct. God's going to have to do something. God's going to have to intervene. It's going to take a miracle. And God, in His sovereignty throughout this book, the miracle is about to come through Mordecai, specifically through Esther. Mordecai sends a message back that Esther should go before the king and plead for the Jews. Here's what he tells her. Do not think that because you're in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish, and who knows? But that you have come to a royal position for such a time as this. Esther, God has called you for such a time as this. God gave you your beauty for such a time as this. You won the Miss Persia pageant. For such a time as this, this is your time. This is why God put you on this earth, to be queen, to save his people. Esther responds. She says, Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will fast as you do. When this is done, I'll go to the king, even though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Wow, against the law. Because royal protocol says that no one, no one, not even the queen, you just don't go waltzing in to see the king saying, hey, got a minute? It was against the law. It was a breach of etiquette. Do it and you could die. Do it and you could literally lose your head. Well, if you keep reading through Esther, go home and read the rest of Esther. It won't take you long. Esther goes before the king, and she lives. And he issues another decree that the Jews can defend themselves. He says, I can't change my first decree, but I'm going to issue another decree that the Jews can defend themselves. And they did. And they live. And Esther lives. And the lineage lives. 
and the Messiah is born, and the Messiah lives, and the Messiah dies, and he defeats Satan, and the Messiah, Jesus, is now in the throne room of God, going before God on our behalf. Why? Because of Esther. Because of Esther. Because she knew she'd been called by God for this very moment for such a time as this. God had a plan for Esther. God had a purpose for Esther. God gave Esther her beauty. God gave Esther her cousin Mordecai. God put Esther in the right place at the right time. And she was the Esther star. The hidden star. The secret star of this story. But not for recognition, not for fame, not for fortune, not for notoriety. She was a hero in this story, in her story, in God's story, in the story of Jesus. She didn't even think twice. She said, if I perish, I perish. Knowing that God had put her there for such a time as this. Listen, folks, I, I, I firmly believe that God still works in the same way. That God has a plan and a purpose for each one of you today. You might not know it. You might not understand it. But I believe God has a plan for each one of us. God didn't put us on this earth just to breathe and take up place, space. God didn't put us on this earth just to go to work and go home. God didn't put us on this earth just for our pleasure. God put us on this earth for such a time as this. God has a plan for your life. God wants to use your life. God wants to use who you are, who He made you to be, the talents He's given you, the places He puts you for such a time as this to be used in His story. Not for title, not for position, not for a Carnegie hero medal, but for His story. So as I'm winding down, heading towards retirement, as I look back on my life of 41 years in ministry, hindsight is always much clearer. I believe God put me in Clinton, Oklahoma for such a time as this. In Weatherford, Oklahoma for such a time as this. In Longview, Texas for such a time as this. In Belton, Texas for such a time as this. God has put each and every one of us in certain places for such a time as this. Maybe it's your job, maybe it's your school, maybe it's the marriage that you're in, maybe it's your children, maybe it's your co-workers, maybe it's your boss, maybe it's your neighbors, maybe it's today at a restaurant, maybe it's the waiter or the waitress in all kinds of places with all kinds of people. The story of Esther reminds us that God puts each one of us and gives us opportunities not to be silent, but to speak on His behalf for such a time as this. Use those opportunities. Pray to God to give you the eyes to see those opportunities. Pray to God to give you the courage in those opportunities. Because God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Let's pray.